Hi, Father John Arnold back for a third installment of Oral Valley Catholic with Father Sean Kilcally. And if you've watched or listened to, rather, our two previous episodes, you know, we've been talking about how do you talk to your kids about sex? How do you protect your uh, kids from the damages that pornography use and masturbation might uh, wreak on their young lives? Because it's a way that their whole future gets filtered through the things that they encountered in their innocence uh, in their prepubescent and pubescent years. But now what happens if you're an adult and you're thinking back on the stuff you wish wasn't in your head, the things that you allowed into your life or the people that you allowed in your life that you now regret that you, that you allowed them into your life? Uh, Father Sean, is there some hope for healing for people who even now maybe struggle with pornography or lust or masturbation, what would you counsel them? Sure. There's always hope for healing. And, um, and I've seen that like take place so many times. Um, and so, so one of the things I talk about is like the funnel of care. And, and the funnel of care just sort of represents like all the interventions that are available if somebody's struggling. And, and so a lot of people, like, they're trying to fix things in the confessional. Like, they, they're going to confession regularly, and they're really faithful to it, but they might just still be struggling a lot. And, and so, so the first thing, and this is what a lot of people do, is they just put, like, filtering and accountability on their phone. Um, but maybe, like, that's not working for them. Like, they're always getting around it, or they're playing beat the filter. You know, beat the filter is that game where I try to get around the filter. Um, and so, like, finding a spiritual director that that you trust, that you can talk to, that you can share your life with, reveal your life to. And, uh, and maybe like if there's something more, they might find a group. And, and there's different kinds of groups. I really, really have seen a lot of fruit from people who go to 12-step fellowships like Sexaholics Anonymous. And, uh, and there's just an amazing community of people in Sexaholics Anonymous. They're just, they're just like amazing people. I, I love 12-step people because they really like know how to live their life in a transparent way, in an honest way. Um, you know, it says in the Alcoholics Anonymous big book, you know, like there are some unfortunates who have an inability to be honest or an incapacity for honesty with themselves. And, and so the goal of, of those fellowships is to be honest with oneself and with others. Um, They're not controlled by their shame. No, and it's all about reducing shame. And we reduce shame through vulnerability. And... Uh, and then, and then there's therapy and therapists who are trained in sexual addiction treatment. Um, and so, so I have seen people, and, and typically what I recommend is that you get a therapist, you get a counselor, and you get a group. And it's kind of like three legs of a stool. Depending on how far advanced this might be in your life. It could be a bad habit. It might be an addiction, and you might need some help to kind of ascertain that. Right. So typically, like my experiences, if somebody's asking for help, it's probably more than a bad habit. Um, and then I would just look at, okay, are you getting sober or not? Like, are you, are you being free or not? And if you're not getting free, you just add more. You know, like sometimes people, like I had a guy who came to my group for a year, and he just couldn't get any traction. Um, and he really needed to go to counseling, but he refused to go to counseling. And, and I just, I try to reduce shame about going to counseling. Yeah. You know, a therapist is just somebody who's smarter than me about being a human. A man and, uh, that I knew, I respected a lot, who uh, was sober for 20 years from alcohol, 
He once said that he thought the test for whether something was a bad habit, bad judgment, or an actual mm -hmm. addiction was, can you stop? Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I think that's a good, I think that's a good standard. Um, and yeah, because anybody, and, and especially in this area of sexuality, if, uh, if you're a faithful Catholic and you're struggling with this, like you're doing something you don't want to do. And so it's obvious that you can't stop. And you can't stop on your own. And, and it is in surrendering to other people and, and learning to surrender to our Lord and really learning what that means, that, that we find that kind of hope and healing. Um, like one of my favorite stories is um, there's a, a woman came in to me in the confessional and she's like, I hate my husband. I never want him to touch me again. Is that okay? Can I just tell him to never touch me again? She wanted permission from a priest to tell her husband that they can't have any physical contact anymore. And I started asking her what the problem was and she said pornography. And so I invited her to make an appointment to see me. And she came in, and we just started focusing on her. And, and she had had lots of other stuff going on that had gone on in her life. And, and, and I just kind of said, let's put your marriage on a shelf and focus on like, what needs healing in your life. And then, and then she went home to her husband. And, uh, and she basically says to her husband something like, well, father said I should have kicked you out of the house 12 years ago. And it like, wasn't exactly what Which I said. Which, of course, you would never say anything like uh, that. No, I probably said if he would have had more consequences in the past that he might have gotten better. Okay. Because um, consequences can play a positive role they in changing can. behavior. And, and I have seen guys who are addicted, when they have consequences, they change. Yeah. When they don't have consequences, they don't change. And so he calls me up. And, uh, and he says that was the first time he ever called somebody for help, and he meant it. And, and so they both got counselors. They both got in a group. They kind of started focusing on their own lives, and then they fell back in love again. And, uh, and I've watched them heal, and I've also watched like, them have the capacity to talk to their children like I've never seen it in another couple. And they've revealed everything to their children. I've experienced this in couples, and I have to say, one of the most thrilling things you see as a priest, when people get past the herd of adultery, and pornography is generally involved in that kind of thing mm -hmm. before there's actually a fall, that the capacity of people for love and forgiveness is um, amazingly awesome. Yeah, and then, and then they started to be able to work on that same kind of love and forgiveness with their children, and, and really, like, they needed their children's forgiveness because... They weren't available to them because they were fighting all the time. And, uh, and now that family is like, um, they're just so amazing. And, and I send people to them for help. I just had this experience. Uh, their son has been like living in the basement for the last couple of years, just playing video games all the time. And he met a girl online playing video games from another state. So this girl moves. She comes to visit. And she starts experiencing this family that loves each other. And she'd never seen that really before. Yeah. And then she moved here. And now her life is totally different. She's kind of being reparented in this environment by this couple that's in recovery. Love changes lives. And, uh, and I just did the wedding for another one of this couple's children. And, and so the, the girlfriend who moved here, um, she came up to me at the reception. And she just she wanted to say goodbye. And she just gave me this big hug and thanked me for my sermon. But it was really more than that. She was, like, thanking me for the influence that I had had in this couple's life that's now influencing her yeah. life and her life is different. And, and so the way the gospel magnifies when people are healed 
like is incredible. Um, and, and it my soul proclaims so the greatness of the Lord. My spirit <laughs> magnifies God, my Savior. Mm -hmm. That's in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah. You know, uh, you reminded me of something that I've talked to people about, that for some people that's been a little controversial. One of the things that made an impression on me when I went to your workshop back in Kentucky a couple mm -hmm. years ago was talking about how we deal with anxiety. Now, anxiety, being angry, tired, lonely, bored, mm -hmm. can be the occasion to sin, or it could be a catalyst mm -hmm. where a trigger sets us off into some behavior that's, that, that undermines us. But one of the things that I, that I think Dr. Bauman who'd said, who was the psychologist mm -hmm. who was present, was said that when uh, we were young and we were cranky or we were anxious, mom would breastfeed us, and that would be a way that we deal with anxiety. But when that stopped, when we got too old, mm -hmm. well, part of our maturation, even as a little child, was how to learn to deal with anxiety. So sometimes kids would just go out and run around, or they'd mm -hmm. bounce around and burn their energy off, or as G.K. Chesterton said, they'd torture the cat. All sorts of things, positive and neg uh, negative, and dealing with anxiety. But one of the things I've explored with people, and I've had some good reports back, um, is Catholic mindfulness. Now, some people said, you know, a Catholic mindfulness draws on the occult or on Buddhism. Yeah. But, you know, it's just breathing exercises. And there was this book by Dr. Dominic Botaro and his wife mm -hmm. called Sitting Like a Saint, which is how to deal with children who have anxiety. And I give it to adults because it's easy to understand. Mm -hmm. But the, the idea of when you feel like the need to get online or to start engaging in these behaviors that you don't want to get sucked into, that it might be an opportunity to recognize that you're having anxiety and to deal with it in another way. Have you had any experience of that or uh, thought about that at all? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things like like mindfulness, I know it's really controversial. Um, Which I, know, I think is ridiculous. I know but. Dr. Greg Bataro who wrote the Mindful Catholic book. And and really, it's just about clearing the junk that's in your brain. That's like, it. Like I kind, of, I kind of use the analogy of a computer. Like if my computer's got a million processes running in the background, it doesn't run well. And the only way to fix that is to re is to turn it off and turn it back on again. We've all done it. We've all like turned our computer off and turned it back on. And it it's works the problem again. of distractions in prayer, right? And so when we're we we're carrying a lot of anxiety, we need to actually turn our brain off and turn it back on again. And so what mindfulness is is it's like okay, I'm going to think about nothing for about five minutes. And as we do that, we become more grounded and we become more, more silent. So it's also like fostering interior silence. Right, because sometimes in seminary we'd have grand silence, but you could have like interior noise going on all the time, um, and so I, I I think that's a good thing. Um, I also think that like physical touch is a really important and undervalued thing. So, like we need physical touch. So when Dr. Bowman talks about like breastfeeding as a calming thing, and then when that stops, like there still is a need to like like be held and to hold children. Um, sometimes when a parent sees their child and they're discovering masturbation and they're touching their genitals a lot, um, and, but they might be really young and they don't want to yeah. shame them. It's just like, why don't you come up and sit next to me and just, I'm going to like hold you. And then I'm going to help them experience that like physical touch helps yeah. 
calm them down. So they don't have to try to achieve that by themselves. Um, and even for couples, like one of the exercises I know Dr. Bowman does with couples is like, I want you to do a two minute hug, like every day as they're like reintegrating. Yeah. Um, and I've experienced that too, because as a priest, we don't touch very many people. And yeah, we're especially it's now we don't do that. Especially now. Yeah. <laughs> but I went on a reunion weekend at West Point, my 20 year reunion, and I'm seeing all these people. And I had more hugs that weekend than I'd had probably cumulatively in the last five years. From all those Army officers. From all those Army, because we're all really close. And <laughs> we're just it. like, we just hug each other and we're confident about that. West Point's that. an experience, good. yeah. And I'll tell you, when I got home from that reunion weekend, I was more grounded. I felt better. I was like, I thought more clearly. Everything was kind of more online because we have this need yeah. for um, connectedness. You know, it's interesting because I talk to couples getting married. I talk to couples that are married. And I, I believe that this is a correlation. People who pray together, hold hands together, maybe say an Our Father mm-hmm. uh, before they go to sleep, that they're willing to just engage in a f- affectionate behavior that does not lead to sex, right. to sex. That it is a showing of love and connection with another. I remember talking to this young couple. I asked, well, you're getting married, you're living together, because, you know, that's much more common now. I say, do you ever pray together? And they looked at each other and said, oh, you know, that's far too personal. And I thought to myself, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Because there is so much that's being said about them and God in their refusal to hold hands or to even sit and pray a decade of the rosary together to pray with kids. Mm-hmm. Praying together as a, as a couple and praying with your kids as a couple is this experience of intimacy and vulnerability. And it will do, in my estimation of talking to people, it introduces into families such a sense of intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. And so I want to thank Father Sean for the time he's taken because he's supposed to be on the road to Phoenix, but he decided that he would take the time uh, to just reach out and talk to you about this important topic that we've uh, covered over the last three years. And always the, the thing to do is to remember that it's the love of God, the mercy of God, that uh, takes us from these dark places in our life that can be so shame-filled. It's like being called out of a tomb. But you got to see that you're living in the graveyard, and you want to protect your kids from going there. So for all of you that have these happy marriages where prayer is is practiced, God bless you. For everybody else, you know, God is calling you to a deeper relationship. You're always being called uh, to that intimacy with God and one another that he made us for. So as always, I hope you remember us in your prayers and be assured that I remember you in mine. God bless you.